Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however, you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place. Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome back to the Holistic Health Podcast. It's Nat here, and I'm actually flying solo today. Um, Beautiful Amy is needing some convalescing time after a little viral upgrade, although by the time this episode is released, she'll be well and truly past that because we do record them a little bit in advance. Um, So PCOS and weight loss. I think that this is a topic that is often really misinterpreted. And so my goal today is to help you understand it a little bit better and to hopefully um, provide some clarity around what is truth and what is actually not. Now, before we actually dive into that, what I wanted to do is give you a little reminder around PCOS and PCOS diagnosis. We did share this a little bit in the episode that we did on PCOS and fertility, but I know that not everyone who listened to that episode will necessarily be listening to this episode. So there's no, there's actually no single test to diagnose PCOS because it's a syndrome, i.e. a collection of symptoms or features. So there are some criteria set out by varying, organiza- varying organizations that help guide diagnosis. Um, and two of the most well accepted being the Rotterdam criteria and also the Androgen Excess and PCOS Society criteria. So you can look both of those up, FYI. There's no gatekeeping here. You're welcome to Google those and have a look at the criteria yourself. I will quickly run through the latter one with you. So in order to be diagnosed with PCOS, you have to meet all three of the following criteria. Number one, ovarian dysfunction and or polycystic ovaries. So ovarian dysfunction would, for example, look like having irregular periods or irregular cycles. Um, And polycystic ovaries would be having a polycystic appearance of your ovaries on ultrasound. But it's really, really important to know here, if if you take nothing else away from this episode, know that PCOS cannot be diagnosed by ultrasound alone. And if that is the way that your PCOS has been diagnosed, you need to revisit your diagnosis. The next criteria is that clinical signs of androgen excess um, or confirmed high androgens on blood tests needs to occur. And I'll talk about clinical signs of androgen excess in a moment. And then the third criteria that needs to be met is that all other potential causes of high androgens have been ruled out. So FYI, androgens for those who haven't listened to us speak about these before or are not looped in on that are things like testosterone, androstenedione, DHT, um, and and DHEAS. So all of those, if you don't know what any of them mean, don't worry. It's it's a, androgens is a collective term to describe some of those. Now, clinical signs or symptoms of androgen excess are confirmed high androgens on a blood test. So running tests for the markers I just mentioned there and seeing that they are in fact elevated. Um, another, Another key sign of androgen excess is excessive hair growth, particularly the long and dark kind in areas like the upper lip, chin, cheeks, nipples, and stomach. 
Another one is acne, particularly around your chin or your jawline, and also hair loss or hair thinning. Now, I also mentioned before that there can be other reasons as to why you might have high androgens that need to be ruled out before PCOS can necessarily be ruled in. And some of these examples um, of other factors that can contribute to high androgens are high prolactin, which can in fact be a feature of PCOS, but which can confuse things a little bit more, but just it is worth mentioning. Hypothyroidism, so an underactive thyroid, um, certain medications used for mental health disorders, um, congenital adrenal hyperplasia, that one you'd probably know about if you had it. Same with some kinds of pituitary and adrenal diseases. And that's not referring to quote unquote adrenal fatigue, which is not, not, yeah, it's different to actual, actually an adrenal problem. Um, and then some forms of birth control can also contribute to elevated androgens. Now that aside, that's just a little bit of a, a refresher and perhaps a reminder for you if you have PCOS that you might need to revisit whether or not you actually have PCOS and what the drivers are for you. Um, but that aside, let's just roll now further into the conversation around PCOS and weight loss. So what I've noticed in clinical practice with women who come into the clinic to see me for support with weight loss who also have PCOS is that there is a really, really strong sense of PCOS or belief, I should say, being the main driver of their difficulty or inability to lose weight. And this one's tricky because, of course, in one sense, if that is true, then it can feel quite validating, um, you know, especially when you've feel like you're doing all the right things and nothing seems to be working at shifting excess body weight. It can feel I guess, good to feel like you've got a reason as to why that might not be happening. However, on the other hand, it can almost sometimes lead to this sense of being defeated before trying or having that really strong mindset or belief behind, you know, like before you even get started that this is actually going to be really, really difficult for you or worse. And more commonly, it's just not going to happen for you. And I think, you know, the placebo effect comes to mind here in in which in what i mean by that is that your mind is so strong and if you hold tightly to that being the truth that especially if the truth for you is that it's actually going to be impossible or um so difficult that it's never going to happen for you in terms of losing weight while experiencing PCOS as a conditional part of your health story then it's very likely in my honest opinion that that's exactly what will happen because if you believe it to be true i think and see often that that's often what manifests now i don't want anyone listening who has PCOS who has found weight loss really difficult to feel invalidated or that they're making it up in their head that weight loss is difficult because it can be. And what I want to more explain now is um, is the mechanisms by which it can, for some people, feel more difficult because it's not what you think. So moving on, on to that, I think where some confusion may lie is exactly what I said there in the how. In the how does PCOS make weight loss more challenging for some? So the potential factors that can make weight loss challenging for PCOS are in those experiencing insulin resistance as part of their PCOS 
presentation and you can test for insulin resistance, FYI, by doing a fasting insulin blood test. And not every single person with PCOS has elevated insulin, but it is a very common feature. And again, this circles back to the reason why having a proper investigation and proper diagnosis is so important. So you understand what your unique drivers are, which then dictates how you actually work on um, fixing that condition or fixing those drivers, I should say. So in terms of this, the, the misconception that comes with PCOS and insulin resistance is that insulin resistance does not reduce your metabolic rate or your make your metabolism slow, as is often thought with people who are experiencing that as part of their PCOS, because there's research showing that those with insulin resistance are no less able to lose weight than those with um, without insulin resistance when following the same caloric intake or energy intake and in the context of the same conditions. However, of course, there is so much more that is involved in a weight loss journey than just the final number of calories that we consume. Um, And where I think things get blurry is that there is actually some evidence that in those with insulin resistance, which can be a feature of PCOS, um, that in these people, they aren't as sensitive sometimes to satiety signals and also they may get more of a reward from food compared to those who don't have insulin resistance, which as you can imagine, if you are feeling less satiated, so less satisfied from the amount of food that you are consuming and you're also feeling more um, rewarded from the food that you're consuming, that drive to consume and that felt need of eating more food, whether that's consciously or subconsciously, is going to be higher. And that inadvertently is likely going to make achieving weight loss more difficult than someone not experiencing those things. So hopefully that provides a little bit more clarity and separation between the two. And I guess the takeaway from that is that because you have PCOS, it does not mean that you have a slow metabolism. Now, this is going to sound funny because now we're moving into a bit of a uh, contradiction to that uh, in a way, which is that another thing to consider is that in about 22.5 to, or let's just say 22 to 23% of the PCOS population or people with PCOS have a higher TSH and a lower T3. So these are thyroid hormones or well, TSH is actually coming from your brain telling your thyroid what to do. And then T3 or free T3 is your actual thyroid hormone. It's the one that, um, does absolutely influence your metabolic rate. So in 22 to 23% of people experiencing PCOS, this can be lower. And I say can because again, it's obviously not in all people with PCOS. And if this is the case, if your thyroid is actually underactive, particularly with that T3, then that is going to affect your metabolic rate. And so I guess where I wanted to point this one out is that it's not necessarily that PCOS is always causing an underactive thyroid, but there is a definite association or overlap in the two conditions in terms of PCOS and hypothyroidism for 
a subset of people. And again, this circles back to that conversation around the importance of testing and doing that thoroughly so that you have an understanding of what is actually driving and contributing to your unique situation. And therefore, understanding that then dictates what steps you need to take in order to um, achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, whether it is um, putting PCOS into remission, losing weight, improving your metabolic rate, um, achieving fertility, whatever it might be. It's, you know, without understanding the root causes and the drivers, it makes it much more difficult and and more time consuming to actually get to where you want to get to. The natural next question that I get from clients is, well, okay, uh, that's a lot of information and what do I do? Like, what do I actually do with that? How do I get started? And I've already kind of given you step one, which is that I would ensure that you've had an accurate diagnosis if you have been diagnosed with PCOS in the past or recently, or you suspect that you have PCOS, please take the time to get an accurate diagnosis. So, so, so important. And if you're not confident in the opinion that you've already been given or the first opinion that you've been given, there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeking a second opinion. I think that's really important to state is that if you've got a gut instinct around something not quite being right, or you don't feel like you've fully been assessed or heard, um, then it is absolutely okay, welcome and encouraged to seek out more than one opinion. And that goes for things outside PCOS as well. The next thing I would say is if there are high androgens as part of your PCOS story, which if you actually have PCOS, it's very likely that there are, then it's important to work with a practitioner who can help to support you to actually reduce those back into the normal range because that is part of what helps you to manage PCOS and therefore manage weight loss. It will achieve weight loss if that is part of your goal. The other thing I would say is that ensure you understand, again, like the drivers of your PCOS before you throw yourself into extreme diets or exercise, because not every person with PCOS will actually benefit from a really, really low carb or keto diet um, and HIIT training, which are often two of the most common just generalized recommendations out there on the internet whenever someone finds out they have PCOS is all of a sudden they're like, I can't eat fruit, I can't eat carbs, um, I need to fast or I need to uh, do HIIT training in order to fix this. And I can't tell you the amount of coaching and support and coaxing back towards um introducing the right carbs in the right amounts for clients with PCOS that I do and the freedom that actually comes on the other side of that. So I just wanted to name that up in case you're currently feeling pigeonholed into that way of eating or moving your body based on what you have already read. The other thing that I wanted to share as well here is that if you are feeling overwhelmed in terms of what I've shared here or what you've been reading in your own research, then my encouragement would be to actually check out the PCOS um, wellness blueprint guide that I have created. It is a very low cost, affordable resource that I put together for exactly this purpose after feeling very frustrated around how many clients are coming to me, having done years of the wrong thing or 
feeling just completely limited by what they could achieve in their health because of PCOS, I just I just got fed up with that being the narrative and the story. And I appreciate that not everyone uh, is ready to or wants to work one-to-one. And so this was my way of filling that gap to provide you what I am very proud to call a reliable, evidence-based, practical, helpful guide on helping you help yourself to manage PCOS and ensure that you are only going to the effort of implementing and seeking out strategies that are actually going to work and make a difference and that are actually grounded in evidence and not in just the extremes of what happens to have worked for one person on the internet. While I'm all for self-experimentation and I'm a big advocate for trying things on yourself and seeing how you feel, what I'm not a big advocate for is misinformation and also people feeling pigeonholed into something that actually isn't working for you. And I know that sometimes we can feel really stuck in doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And I really, especially if it's been something that's provided a benefit in the past, but what I tell a lot of my clients and what I'm going to share with you right now is that our bodies change, our needs change um, with seasons of life, with age, with different contexts. And so it's really important to remain open to the strategy needing to change over time in your health in order to provide you a an ability to thrive and feel really good and confident and healthy in your body. In saying all of that, you might have listened to this episode and thought, oh, now that I've heard you say all of that, maybe I am interested in working one-to-one and diving even deeper on my health and getting some more thorough testing and understanding done and and a tailored program for me. And if that's you, amazing. So happy to hear that. It can be um, another great option or path to take. And at the moment, I do have a small number of one-to-one spots open to come on board as a new client. And if you are on the fence or you're not sure and you actually just want to connect and have a chat about what that might look like before you dive in and book in those sessions, you're very welcome to book a free 20-minute connection call with me. And these are completely casual, obligation-free chats for us to connect. I can hear your story a little bit more, what you're struggling with, what your goals are, and we can just have a conversation about whether or not I'm the right person to help you and if I am, what that journey might look like. And then you can make a really informed decision off the back of that as well. So you can book those via the link in my Instagram bio. There's also a link in the show notes of this episode. And if all that gets too much, then of course, feel free to send me an Instagram message and I can just send you the link directly. I also want to share, although Amy is not on the podcast at the moment, that she also offers a service where you can apply to be a client and connect with her before following through on more formal consultations. And again, the link for that is in the show notes. And I'm sure she would also be able to help you out if you send her an Instagram message if you get stuck. So I really hope this has helped clear things up for you, unmuddy the waters. Um, And if it hasn't, I'd actually really love to hear from you in terms of what questions do you still have? And I'm very open to creating a part two of this episode. Uh, And if it has helped, amazing. Please, please share with a friend, a colleague, a family member. 
I think it's really important that we continue to share information that is going to empower all of us to be happier, healthier human beings. And it's our goal on this podcast to contribute to exactly that. So we will be back with you next week for another episode. Until then, stay healthy and we'll chat soon. You've been listening to the Holistic Health Podcast with Amy and Nat. If you loved this episode, then make sure you share it on Instagram and give us a tag. If you'd like to help us spread the holistic health message far and wide, then we would also so appreciate it if you left a rating and review. This helps us more than you know. And don't forget to come and say hi over on Instagram. See you next week.